right. Trinity Church, how are you doing today? Yeah, doing well. Digging our spring weather. You're welcome. Just kidding. We're excited, though. We're so glad you're here today. If you're a part of Trinity Church, I want to welcome you. If you're a guest today of someone, I want to very much welcome you as well. Thank you for making this service part of your weekend. It's a privilege to get to be here today. I missed you guys last weekend. Hilke was here, did a great job talking about Jesus is the light of the world. And he did, exactly. What a great job. And I just, as we're walking through our series today, we're going to take one more step in that sequence. But he did just such a great job. So many great connections, even him personally. And just, I I watched it online. I loved how you started in the dark. And I love that no one freaked out while it was dark. So good job on that. But I just thought, what a great job. And that actually afforded us the opportunity. We were up visiting my son, Jackson, up at uh, university where he goes to up in uh, the Sacramento area. And, and besides some great time with him, just had this amazing privilege to get to team teach with him on Sunday at the church that he's kind of an interim teaching pastor at. And I just had a blast. Uh, it was just so fun to be on his turf. Remember back in December, he was here with us over Christmas break and we did a team teaching thing together in December. And so getting to kind of repay the favor and meet the people that he's ministering to, I just thought, I think so much of that group of people, there's, um, there's probably, I think the youngest person in the church is probably 65. So think of it this way, that he is like their grandson's age or younger. And they're listening to this 19-year-old every week. And I'm just so impressed by them and so impressed by him and uh, all the thing. It was so good. We had such a great time getting to team up together and do that. And thank you for the opportunity to get away. We were talking this morning as a production team and just for being reminded of the fact that 98 of us woke up today in Mexico. Our Loft House family trip is going on right now. And if you've seen pictures on social media, you saw three of the houses that they went down to build were all completed. And they've done a great job. And I want to not only thank them for their efforts in going down, but they really do represent you. Not only by name, not only because we share in common Jesus, but really because of your giving. If you remember back in our Advent conspiracy of the seven projects that we did, our Loft House family trip was one of the main ones that we gave to. And your generosity made that trip happen. So that costs weren't kind of either put on the the families there, which really they don't have, nor was it put on our teams that were going down primarily. You absorbed that. And so I just want to thank you for your generosity. And as a result of that, three families uh, east of Ensenada now have a place to lay their head. And that's a really cool thing. So I'm excited for that. Well, what I want to do today is you are getting out. If you have notes in your worship folder, you can get that out. If you have a Bible today, we're, like we said, our entire series called I Am is found in the book of John. So we're in the Gospel of John again today. John is the fourth book in the New Testament. John chapter 10 is where we're going to be. While you're doing that, I want to do a little housekeeping today, catch you up on a couple things so that you can just kind of be aware of what's going on. All good news. Um... This budget year, we set aside some specific funds for some campus improvements, some things on our campus here that have needed attention for a long time. What we did in doing that, we developed a committee of people, some of our full-time staff, but as well as part of our our congregation. And the great news is, is that it was Doug who put that group together. Doug did a great job of getting people who knew what they were doing. So, for instance, had a background in corporate interior design, commercial interior design. And so new things about what we're trying to do, and it wasn't just, well, I've always thought Sally was awesome. So that was a good thing. Sally was here last hour, by the way. So, Um, 
And one of the things you notice in our projects is uh, even earlier this summer, like ahead of this, if you have kids over here in our TLC center, you notice that we switched out the carpets top and bottom floors on that last summer, which were very much needed. I remember as we were candidating and Kim was walking us through the building, I thought, hmm, that would be good to fix, you know, and so I was grateful to hear that that got done over the summer. Um, there's other projects that we have planned and that will begin rolling out, but what I wanted you to know specifically, when you come back into this building next weekend, it's going to be painted on the inside, and we're going to redo the paint in here, and that's the, the first of a few projects. They'll get started on that first thing Monday morning, all the prep work, and getting the inside painted, as well as we're working towards then in the next subsequent weeks getting our carpet changed out. And if you've been in this room, this is a great multi-use room we use for a lot of things. And I won't at all put any blame on middle schoolers who use it on Tuesday nights. No, I'm just kidding. I want us, I, don't get me wrong, I want us to be a church where we value our students and we want them in spaces like this that they can use. But the point is our carpet's pretty well beat up in here. And what's cool is we're replacing it with carpet tiles that when we do get a bad stain, and I don't mean like um, these little, you know, foot-by-foot tiles, a nice long uh, big piece so that when they get a bad stain, we can just swap out a tile and not feel like we have to re-carpet the whole room. So we're excited that smarter people than us were on that committee and knew that kind of stuff. Also, our plan in the next few weeks, a months, is to change out all of our chairs and our window coverings as well. So we're, we're going to do some really good, I think, um, updates here in this room. In our new budget year, beginning July 1, it won't be necessarily that day, but in the new year, we're also going to redo our bathrooms in here and obviously beginning with the ladies' room, okay? <laughs> Not because I know anything about how badly it needs it, I just hear things, okay? Um, today, if you'd like to see some samples of what we're doing by paint and carpet and chairs, there's actually a table out by the Welcome Center and after service, you can go out there and just get an idea of what we're doing. And so we're excited about some just things that kind of freshen up our campus a little bit. We're able to do these things through a lot of different means, but one of the main ones is your generosity. So thank you for giving, and thanks for the opportunity to do that. Well, here we are. We're in week four of a series called I Am, and we're looking at these statements. Jesus makes eight statements in the book of John. And what we love about this is that, it, as even Steve said earlier during our hosting time today, we, we get excited about Easter for a reason. It changed everything. We have reason to celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead. And as a result of that, our lives are different. The entire approach that God has to the world is different. And Jesus is that culminating reality that we were always waiting for. So as we're marching towards Easter, what we wanted to do is we wanted to hear about this Jesus through his own words. Who does Jesus say he is? And the great news is he gave us a lot of information. He told us, I am. The first week in our series, we talked about where Jesus said, basically, I am, I am. And we saw that allusion back to Exodus chapter 3, and what Jesus was doing was establishing his deity. I am not just a good man. I am not just a teacher. I am not just a prophet. I am, I am. And the people that Jesus was talking to absolutely knew what he meant because they picked up rocks to kill him. So Jesus lays that out, and as he does, he actually lays the foundation for all of the other I am's to make sense, to actually be things that Jesus could fulfill. The second week, we saw that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. We were incredibly cruel that day. We had bread baking in this oven over here so that you could kind of get this aroma and get really hungry for lunch. 
And we even took communion that day to connect the dots of what Jesus was saying, I have come. And what we saw the focal point of that chapter, we looked at John 6, was that Jesus was here to say, I care more about what you need than what you want. Listen to me. Listen to what I'm about, and I'm going to focus your attention on what you really need, eternal life, more than what you want, temporary lunch. Last week, Kilke was here and talked about where Jesus said that he is the light of the world. Walked us through this great narrative in the book of John chapter 9 about the man who had been born blind, who's healed. And Hilke dialed in, and I love the way he brought this kind of now what statement together at the end of the message. Not until we recognize Jesus as the Son of God. Remember that sequence of things the, the blind man began to kind of clearly, more clearly get to know who this Jesus was. It's not until we recognize Jesus as the Son of God that he'll be the light in our lives. Jesus didn't come just to be the light of the world. He came to be the light of your world. And until you recognize him as the Son of God, he is not. And that's a great, great balance of that reality. Today, we move further into these I am's. John chapter 10, Jesus saying, I am the door, I am the gate. And we'll unpack that idea and see what we're talking about. Again, what we're going to be reminded of, Jesus came to fulfill and meet our greatest needs. And that will be a a truism we find today. In contrast to those who had previously come, those who were thieves to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus declares himself to be the gate that provides protection and life to the full. We're going to look at John 10 today, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Life to the full for his sheep who hear his voice. So here's our statement we want to keep in mind today as we march through this passage. Once you become one of Jesus' sheep, he protects you and he provides you for you. And we'll see what that means. So today in your notes, number one, Jesus invites you into his safety. Jesus invites you into his safety. We'll see in a sequence today of three things that Jesus invites you into. That language is chosen very specifically, very intentionally. Because it's always an invitation. You always get to choose to respond to it or respond against it. But it's always an invitation to you. Let me set the stage. Here's what's fascinating to me about today's passage. Is that it's actually a continuation of where we left off last week in John 9. Now that would make sense. John 10 comes after John 9. And you're amazed at my math, right? Wow, Todd, that's impressive. But what we find is actually the narrative is just continuing. We're just continuing. Last week, as Hilke finished off about this conversation with the Pharisees, about them still not being willing to admit, to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, though he healed a man who'd never seen the light of day. If they're honest with themselves, they have nothing to do, like no compartment to put that in. What in the world do you ascribe that to if he's not God, but they still refuse to believe? And it's in that context that then the next sequence happens. Jesus is in our, in our passage is speaking directly to the Pharisees, the religious elite, who again continue to refuse to believe he is who he says he is. What I love about this passage is this is how I could see it happening. Jesus is having this conversation with them. They're coming and they're coming at him, not just coming to him. They're coming at him. And in the conversation, I can just imagine Jesus looking over here. And as he looks over here to the side, he sees a shepherd with a flock of sheep. And it's in that conversation, Jesus the master teacher, who then takes that illustration, that idea, and begins to build a metaphor and says things like we'll see today. 
there's an incredible shift of, of, of topic from talking about light and blindness to now talking about shepherds and sheep. But Jesus makes that connection, and I believe he does it with great intent, as we'll see today. Chapter 10, verse 1, we'll look at the first five verses, and what we're going to find is Jesus provides us a big picture overview of first century shepherding. Chapter 10, verse 1, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, he's talking specifically to this group of people, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way as a thief and a robber, the one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now here we read these first five verses of John chapter 10. And we actually learn a lot about first century shepherding in this region of the world, in the Middle East. Things we wouldn't have known. Let me ask you this question. Here we are living today in a suburban culture. How many of us in this room personally know a shepherd? Okay, that's why this, okay, good, one of us. That's why this is really helpful today, okay? Except for you, all of us are in the dark, okay? We don't understand how shepherds work. We don't understand how sheep function. And this is actually very helpful to us. Some key things that Jesus says, that they stay in a pen in order to be protected from things that, like thieves and robbers. That the shepherd is the rightful person, the rightful leader that they ought to be following. And they go through a gate. There's a gatekeeper who opens the gate for the sheep, and he calls them by name. That's how intimate he knows them. The shepherd leads the flock from the front, not from the back. And the sheep know his voice. These are all really good first century shepherding things. I call them in our notes, Shepherding 101. They're great things to help us as we go. But here's the problem today. Some of you have, are very, many of you may be very familiar with John 10. And as you read those first five verses in your mind, you're already connecting dots to the fact that Jesus is going to tell them he's the good shepherd. Today, Jesus is going to tell them he's the gate. Jesus, all these illustrations, as you were reading through, you were figuring out, well, who is who and who's connected to what and what's the metaphor. But guess what? First century audience, Jesus's audience of these Pharisees were listening to Jesus talk about shepherds and sheep. And this is what they thought. Duh. Like Jesus, we all know this. We're only one of us in here knows the shepherd and sheep. They all did. Their cousin was a shepherd. Their father was a shepherd. Shepherd and sheep was a very constant, basic reality of that world. It would be like someone's talking to you about just anything in life and all of a sudden says, this is how the U.S. postal system works. And you're like, uh, and they're very, you know, give out this explanation. You're like, well, basically, I knew that when I put my letter in that box, I know it gets to my Aunt Gertrude. What's the point? Like, why are you bringing this up? We all kind of know what you're talking about. See, these first five verses, Jesus is not making any connections, any metaphors. He's simply connecting to a basic reality that they know. They know shepherding. It's very helpful for us 2,000 years later to get an overview of how sheep and shepherds work. But for them, for the people hearing, they were like, and... And we know this from the text as we continue to read it. We know this was their reaction. So what was Jesus' purpose in telling 
telling them how shepherding works. Why would he even take the time to do this? It's like we saw a couple of weeks ago when Jesus was talking about another very known entity, something called bread, something they knew very well. They just had lunch the day before from the hand of Jesus. They knew what he was talking about. And he's using very common ideas, connecting dots from what they know, like bread and sheep, to what they need to respond to, like eternal life. He's starting from the known and working to what they don't know yet. Look at the next verse in our passage, chapter 10, verse 6. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Now, look at this idea, this phrase, um, use this figure of speech. This is not the word parable. For those of us who've kind of been around our Bibles a little bit, you know that what a parable is, we find in the other Gospels, are basically these side-by-side stories. Jesus is going to say things like, the kingdom of heaven is like. Notice he didn't say anything like that in John 10. He just started talking about sheep. But in parables, he will make this connection, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, It's like this, and he'll lay out this story that's very basic on the one hand that they would know physically, but then he's connecting the spiritual dot within the story, master storytelling. In this section, interestingly enough, by the way, in all three of the other Gospels, lots and lots of rich parables. In the Gospel of John, not a one. No parables found in the book of John. It's a very unique Gospel on every front, and this is another piece of that puzzle. So here's the question. Jesus lays out shepherding 101 for this group of religious teachers. They're going, we get it. We know what shepherding is about. And here's the simple fact. What were they to do with this information? We said it a couple weeks ago. When someone that you care about says something confusing, what do you do? You pursue them. You want to know what they mean. You want to know why they're saying this. You want to know what, what, what is the point of bringing this up. But when someone that you are at least skeptical about says something confusing, what do you do? Well, you have an excuse to walk away. Further yet, for the Pharisees, what do you do when someone that you already are trying to build a case against says something confusing? You attack them. That's the range. That's the reality of the kinds of people Jesus was talking to. And watch this. That's the range of the people in the room today. When Jesus says something confusing that you don't understand, but you love him, you pursue it. I want to know what that means. I want to know what I'm supposed to do with this. If you're here today and you're like, well, the whole Jesus thing, I'm not against him. That's for sure. But I just kind of don't get it yet. Or I don't know if I want to commit that's when he says something confusing. You kind of go, eh, I knew that was weird. Or maybe you're here today and you are a skeptic. You're a critic and you're just like, you know what? I knew it. That's the piece I needed. He is nuts. And you write him off. Nothing's changed. Audiences are still the same as who Jesus was talking to 2,000 years ago. And now today we dive into what it is we're actually looking at. Look at verse 7. Therefore... Knowing that they weren't getting it, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who've come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. 
having laid a foundation that we're going to talk about sheep stuff, right? If you were at our Christmas musical, I love that with our kids, talking about sheep stuff, right? So we're going to talk about sheep stuff today. And Jesus has laid that foundation. Clearly, now he's going to talk about specifics. Now he's using the metaphor, I am the gate. And the shepherding sheep sequence, I am the gate for the sheep. Now, I want to say this today. In order to understand the metaphor, in order for today to make any sense, you have to understand who you are in the story. And let me tell you, we already know you're not the gate, Jesus is. I'm going to tell you this, you're not the shepherd either. You're the sheep. You're the sheep. And in order for this metaphor to make sense, you have to, as it were, get into their wool. You have to get into the story, the narrative, the reality of what it meant to be a sheep in the first century in the context of shepherd and sheep. Here's a few realities. Like when you hear that analogy, when I just told you you're like sheep, some of you were like, oh, well, they're cute. Fluffy, you know, you let their wool grow out a little bit. They're kind of cute. And it kind of like being likened to a bunny. Oh. Others of you are like, I grew up on a farm. They're dirty, nasty livestock. Okay? That is not a helpful comparison. Thank you very much. You know, you feel offended right now. And others of you are all together like, what are we talking about? Why are we at all being compared to animals? Like, this is just silly. All over the map might be your reaction. Here's the simple thing, though. Let's go back to the first century. What were the Pharisees thinking as Jesus is using the metaphor and it's becoming increasingly clear he means they're the sheep. People in the first century knew that sheep were dumb. And I don't mean they couldn't talk. They made a lot of foolish decisions. They'd get themselves into all kinds of crazy trouble because of dumb things they would do. They knew that sheep were defenseless. Whereas other animals had mechanisms to do something to keep predators away, to do something from being stolen by a thief. A a sheep, if you just look at a sheep to a predator, it looks like a meal on legs. Right? That's lunch walking that way. And when I go to get it, it's not going to do anything but bah really loud. This is great. This is a feast. So, So sheep are incredibly defenseless animals. And thirdly, sheep are incredibly dependent. They can't forage for their own very well because what they'll do, if you know anything about sheep, they'll go to a pasture area and they will chew and chew and chew grass down to the ground where there's purely now dirt. And over time, that grass won't regrow back and just continues to become this barren field. That's what sheep left to their own will do. Sheep are dependent on a shepherd taking them to good grass. And you know, when you think about this illustration, you know this is not the first time the idea of being likened to sheep comes up. All throughout the former covenant in the Old Testament, there are all these illusions. Remember our, probably for you and me, one of our favorites is when David, the shepherd boy, changes the terms and rather than him writing like a shepherd, he writes himself into the story as a sheep. And the 23rd Psalm is from the vantage point. How does it begin? The Lord is my shepherd. I'm a sheep under his care. If anyone understood sheep, it was David. Later on, we see the the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. They will go after the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of the flock of Israel, because they were poor at their job. They were not leading well. And that's exactly what the prophets call the religious leaders of the day, the shepherds of the people. Today, even in our churches... 
one of our roles of leadership in a local church is called a pastor. That's what I'm, my position is called. Isn't it interesting how the word pastor sounds a lot like the word pasture? And for good reason, because the word pasture, pastor literally means shepherd. So the shepherding idea, the sheep idea is nothing new. And in John today in this gospel, he's going to bring this to light about Jesus. Jesus is using this metaphor powerfully. And the reality is you have to find yourself, <clears throat> excuse me, in the story so that the story makes sense. Let me show you this. This is what Jesus talked about just now as a sheep pen. Let me show you what first century sheep pens looked like. This is one obviously very broken down, but you get the idea. You see, by the way, I brought my really cool laser pointer today because I love to feel, you know, important. Um, but if you look here, you see these stacks of rocks, and obviously this part's broken down. If you go to the next slide, here's one that's a little bit more intact. And you see this idea here, these stacks of rocks that were put. Now, let's think about this for a minute. Look at the same open area. If a shepherd had a home, right, they, that would make sense. At their home, they would have a sheep pen that would be more permanent, might even have a, a roof over it, an enclosure, and then would have um, a place that you would bring them back to. But when you take your sheep out, remember, the good grass isn't just right outside the door. You had to take them for a long walk to find good pasture land. So imagine here you see great pasture land. Imagine that the shepherd takes his sheep out. He doesn't have this structure. So instead, all he has is this area, and he just lays them down on the side of the hill and says, have a good night. Totally unprotected. Predators see lunch, like screaming at them, and they're not even going anywhere. Like that's lunch sitting on the table lunch. They're going to go after it. But thieves and robbers as well, easy, easy to grab sheep from the back of the flock and steal away with them. So a sheep pen out in the wild, as it were, out in the pasture was absolutely essential to have a place that you could corral them into, but also a way that you could protect them. And you'll notice in this picture, this opening right here, well, that's where the gate would go. So the sheep come in and the sheep go out and there's the gate. So that kind of helps us get a first century kind of bearing for what we're talking about. Jesus said that opening, what controlled that opening is who Jesus was. I am the gate. He was declaring by being the gate for the sheep that he would provide protection. He'd provide protection not only from the predators that would come, but watch this, specifically from thieves and robbers who wouldn't be allowed in. To protect these defenseless creatures when they were susceptible as a large group in the middle of the night, that's what the gate would do. David, probably the psalmist for Psalm 118, he said some similar words. Think again through the lens of the sheep. It says, open for me, verse 19, the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give thanks for, your, for you answer me. Watch. You have become my safety. You have become my safe place. You have become my salvation. So the gates represent this image of salvation and of safety. So the question is here, who is Jesus talking about when he's talking about the thieves and robbers who've come before him? Like what group of people does he mean? Remember, he's talking to the Pharisees. And the question really comes up to this idea is basically the idea of those who had come before Jesus, remember that the thieves and robbers are, are defined by those who would want to take away the true flock. Jesus is going to say this idea a lot more both in this week's passage and in next. 
Those who'd want to take away from his true flock. So a, a false or a, a robber or a thief would be any kind of false teacher who would want to steal away Jesus' sheep to follow another path. Over the course of time, there had been many who had come in God's name, but would have steered the people away had they listened to them. The imposter's intent was always wanting to do harm and mistreat Jesus' sheep. So Jesus says, I'm not here to profit from you. I'm here to protect you. When you think about this, um, this concept of, of Jesus' claim, I have come, I am the, the gate of the sheep. When you hear that, you kind of go, well, that's a pretty tall order to be able to protect from thieves and robbers. When I showed you the picture before, the gate was at one end, so obviously the wrong person, an imposter, couldn't just walk through, but they could come over the top. What was to keep them from doing that? And I was just thinking about that idea. I was thinking, man, what would have been so cool today would it be to bring like an agricultural kind of gate, right? If you have a fenced off area, here's this big gate that swings wide and swings closed and, and really looks like it's really there for protection in a really good way. But as I began to study and read somewhere, I realized that in the first century, when shepherds had a home base, they had a legitimate pen with a legitimate wooden gate that did this. But when they were out in the fields, like I just showed you, the gate was a little different because the gate didn't relate to a thing, but the gate was a person. And Jesus' audience would have understood what he meant. Take a look at this picture. This is an artist's rendition. The same gate or the same sheep pen built with rocks, but as you'll notice the gate at this end, there's no wooden thing to stop people from coming in and out. It's the shepherd. The gate is the shepherd. And he sat across the threshold so that the sheep would be safe on the inside and keep them from intruders coming past him. But he himself was the way they would be protected. Not because they had a big wooden fence out in front, but because he, we'll find out next week, would lay down his life for the sheep. That's what would give in the first century as people were hearing Jesus talking, they would have understood when he says, I'm the gate, he's not talking about an inanimate object. He's talking about being a sacrificial, protective shepherd. And that would have gone a long way for them as they were processing who he is and who he claimed to be. You see, Jesus didn't come to take advantage of you, but to protect you from those who would. That's our key thought in that first part. Number two in your notes, Jesus invites you into his supply. Jesus invites you into his supply. First, we see that Jesus invites you into his safety. Now we talk about what does that mean into his supply John chapter 10, the last part of verse 9. They, the sheep, they will come in and go out and find pasture. All related to this gate. This gate provides a mechanism for how they come into the pen, how they go out of it, and how they find pasture. So he's connecting another dot. Think of it this way. A shepherd, a good shepherd anyways, would be one who would definitely protect his sheep. He would set up a defensive opportunity for them to be safe and secure. But if that's all he did and didn't provide good pasture, didn't provide good areas for them to graze, he would have sheep that would very soon move into malnourishment as they just kind of looked for scraps on their own in their own same cluster rather than him leading them to good places. A good shepherd had to do both, not just to protect but also to provide. Look in your notes. That's what a human gate does. He is the door for the sheep to enter into safety, but he is also, but also to be led out into the supply of food 
found in pastures outside of the pen. And so we get this really cool image now that the gate is a shepherd who sits in the threshold, not only to protect his sheep, but then to call them out, lead them to good pasture, and to bring them back again. That to me is such a cool picture and such a great idea. Here's the interesting thing as we talked earlier today. And we said, you got to get into the metaphor. you got to find out who you are in the story. There's a good chance that you walked in the door today feeling actually pretty sharp. Feeling pretty good about your decisions. Feeling pretty good about the, the steps that you're taking in your life. There's a good chance that you walked in today feeling relatively safe. Because you have a lot of security measures in your life. Whether it be insurance or alarm systems or whatever it may be, you feel pretty protected. You might have walked in today feeling pretty independent. I take responsibility for my life. I get things done. If you want something done, you do it yourself, that kind of attitude. You might have come in the door today very, very hard to relate to a sheep who is dumb, defenseless, and dependent when you feel just the opposite in your life. But I want to remind you today, I want to remind you today that Jesus didn't come and offer himself as the gate because you didn't need it. He doesn't establish himself as the source of your protection and your provision just to be superfluous, just to be some extra thing to your life. He knows what you need. And guess what? Let me kind of walk you back through memory lane. Let's walk back to a recent season in your life where you made some really horrible decisions. And you would go, hmm, yeah, I am surely, I get that whole dumb piece. I can really make some bad, bad choices. Whether they be sinful or just unwise, you know what I'm talking about. When you think about the idea of how protected you feel, go back through another valley in your life and remember the time you felt completely vulnerable and completely defenseless from what it is that was staring you in the face. Go through a time and think about your independence. And if you're feeling pretty together and secure today, think about a time, though, when you recognize, God, there is no way out of this if you don't come and save the day. I just want to put you back in the story. I want you and I to remember today not only who we are in the story, but that it's true. We are sheep who deeply need God's security and God's supply. And when you hear those ideas, when they begin to resonate in your mind, you begin to go, I'm so grateful Jesus came and said he was the gate because I so deeply need what the gate does. I deeply need what the gate provides. You see, when we think about this same Jesus, Paul in his prayer in Ephesians, we had a great season in the fall going through the book of Ephesians together in his prayer in Ephesians 3. He talks about what Jesus would come to do, and it's the love. The love of Jesus that actually was going to be our supply, that was going to, as it were, fill us up. Ephesians 3.17, and I pray that you, you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, watch this, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of of God, that you might be completely supplied with everything you need because of the love of Jesus that reaches to you. This is what Jesus is saying 
And we'll see later in this narrative that the Pharisees move from confusion to condemnation. This is going to be the reason why now they wag their fingers and point even more because that they don't like what Jesus is saying. But here's what I want you to hear today. The Pharisees had absolutely no excuse to miss this. You and I don't have much of a connection to first century shepherding. They did. You and I don't know the book of Numbers backwards and forwards, but watch this. They did. They were raised in the religious culture of the law. They had memorized, literally memorized the Old Testament. So when Jesus is using this kind of language, the fact that Moses had recorded in Numbers exactly what Jesus is saying and they're not connecting the dots shows you that it wasn't an issue of confusion. It was an issue of rebellion. I don't want to believe you are who you say you are. Listen to what it says. Numbers chapter 27, verse 15. Moses said to the Lord, this is Moses requesting of God, may the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, may you, God, appoint someone over this community, over this flock, to go out and to come in before them like a shepherd leads his sheep. One who will lead them out and bring them in. Watch, so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. You can't get more connected to what Jesus has been saying. I am the gate. I'm not only providing for them I'm or protecting them, I'm providing that they have way in and out. They follow my lead, but watch this. This to me was the clincher. So the Lord said to Moses, take Yeshua. In Numbers chapter 27, there was a real guy named Yeshua, son of Nun. He had become Moses' right hand. And God says, I'm ready to make the transition of leadership from you, Moses, to Yeshua. But what is so powerful to me is Yeshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. I'm appointing someone, someone to lead them out and lead them in and provide for them, and his name is Yeshua. God saves. This was in their heads. And yet something, as Jesus is making this kind of language, making this kind of connection, they didn't just forget, they refused to believe. You and I don't have that same connection to that, these concepts, but I want you to watch this. To all of us at some level, there is biblical truth, there is God's design for our lives. And though we see it face to face, we are saying, God, but I know better. God, I don't want your design. I want this over here that I've chosen. And, and it might be to the level that you've just never placed your faith in Jesus and you don't want to have anything to do with that yet. I want to tell you, you're just right in front of you. His invitation stares at you and you say no. But that's not just the only group in this room today that struggles with that. We all do to a design. When Jesus says, I want to lead you out into my pasture, into my supply, and if you trust my design, you'll find what you're looking for. We still wander from the flock and go look for our own scraps over here. And I use the word we so intentionally because it's not you, it's all of us. 
myself included. God, I know better than your design. I'll go look for it over here. We stare at the reality of what God has given us right in the face and say, nah, I'm going to go this way instead. Man, would today be a day where we say, Jesus, thank you for presenting yourself as the gate. Thank you for presenting yourself as the way that we might have And that's how our passage wraps up today. Number three in your notes, Jesus invites you into his super abundance. Jesus invites you into his super abundance. Now, you already figured out in the message today that today's message is brought to you by the letter S, right? You picked that up. You saw safety, supplies, and now you're thinking, Todd's just making up words, right? That's where you got to. But I want to tell you, it's it's legit. Number one, super abundance. Look it up on your um, phone, you know, thesaurus. You'll find it's there. But more importantly, it's the best word I could find that demonstrates this verse to me that is so powerful and so beautiful. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's all the thief is out to do, is to do harm to the sheep. But watch what Jesus says. I, the gate, I have come that they might have life. Watch and have it to the superabundance that they might have it to the full. If you're a fan of the 80s, they might have it to the max, dude. Right? That's what Jesus is saying. And that's what this word in the original Greek means. It's like whatever is full, whatever is expected, whatever is top to the rim, it's more than. It's more than that amount. That's what to the full, that's what to the max means. More than you even expected. Jesus says, I've come to bring you that kind of life. Now, as you read that passage, I've come to bring them life, life to the full. You might have connected that dot initially to, well, Jesus is talking about the hope of heaven. That's what life to the full is. And I want to say it absolutely includes the hope of heaven. But I absolutely believe that that verse is talking about life now as well. Here and now and then. Jesus is not coming to give you some hope and dream of something off in the future that you can't begin to taste today. Because otherwise, think about this. Why are you still here? The moment that you would have put your faith in Jesus, if he only intended for that life to be worthwhile, he would have immediately transported you. But he's left you here for a reason. And one of those things is that you might experience a super abundant life. Two questions to finish up with today. You're here today and you would say, Todd, I put my faith in Jesus. I am, I'm walking in his way. I'm walking as his disciple, his follower. And I am experiencing that super abundant life. It's awesome. Others of us are here that might be sitting right next to you that would say, I've made that same decision. I put my faith in Jesus. But I would have to honestly say, I, I could not qualify my relationship with Jesus to look like that. Here's the question. If you are one of Jesus' sheep, are you experiencing, experiencing his superabundant life that he came to provide for you? Here's the point. If you're not, I want you to hear this real clearly. If you're not, if, if Jesus is, like on the one hand you go, well, Jesus didn't come to do me harm. He's not a thief and a robber. I get that. But if I'm honest with myself, it's a lot more like Jesus is just kind of benign. You know, I mean, he tries to protect me, but he's not always there. And so I go through some stuff. He tries to provide for me, but I am, if I'm honest, I wander away from his design and look for my own scraps. And, and that's all that that is, is that kind of level of relationship. You would not clarify or classify your relationship with Jesus as being super abundant. 
Guess what? That's what he came to bring, though. So now the dissonance between what he came to give you and what you're experiencing, simple thought, it's not Jesus is bad. So now it's asking the question, Jesus, how does this change? How do I actually learn and experience in my life the superabundance you came to bring versus something else I've settled for? And I want to tell you great news. Those same sheep maybe sitting right next to you who are experiencing that superabundance, that could be so helpful in that process. And I guarantee you what it all keeps coming back to is how closely you follow the shepherd. Second question, some of you are here today and you haven't put your faith in Jesus yet. You, you would honestly have to say, no, I'm not really a follower, I guess you'd say. I'm, I'm just someone checking it out or I'm someone just kind of interested. I'm really glad you're here looking at Jesus, trying to understand what this whole thing's about. But here's a question for you. If you are not yet one of Jesus' sheep, if you haven't responded to his invitation to be included in the flock, what's keeping you? Simple question. I'm not good at selling used cars. I'm not a good salesman. But it's a simple question. What is keeping you from making that decision to cross over the line from someone looking in from the outside and someone who's following? Because what you saw today, every one of our points was very intentionally worded. Jesus invites you to. Jesus has set the invitation on the table. It's yours to connect. It's yours to respond. And my simple prayer today is that you would. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today and we're looking at themes and ideas that we don't initially relate to really well. We live in suburban 2017. But 2,000 years ago, when your son, your one and only unique, one-of-a-kind son, was walking on the planet, he made allusions, metaphors to the idea that he is the gate. He is the gate through which provides us protection and provides us provision, provides us safety and provides us supply. And so today what we simply want to say is we want to know Jesus as that gate, as that human gate who stands in the way, sits in the way of the pen, the opening through which we want to walk through and we want to listen to his voice. If you're here today and you would just have to honestly say, no, I haven't put my faith in that Jesus. I haven't yet chosen to follow in his steps. The great news is you can. You don't have to go through a lot of pomp and circumstance. You don't have to attend a class right here, right now. Jesus, I admit. I admit that I'm a sinner who's lived life my way, not yours. There's a problem in the relationship and it's on me. I believe, I believe that you are the Savior, the Son of God that we've looked at today. You are the gate. I want to walk through it. I want to know, and I believe you're the only Savior available. So I choose today. I choose today to start putting one foot in front of the next, following your footprints as I follow you as your disciple. You can make that decision before you even leave this place today. And my prayer is that you would. And you would know what it is to live in his superabundance. Father, we love you. Thank you for being so immensely good to us. And we pray in Jesus' great name.